You know, I think that one of the problems in the church today is we talk about all these big sins, all these big sins up here, these, these horrible, horrific sins, but then we forget about these little sins, these ones that God sees just as much as sin as the rest, and we just think, well, they don't have as big a consequence, and they're not as big a deal, so what's the big deal if we commit those? Um, and we're going to talk about a few of those over the next few weeks. Um, we're starting a new series today called Just Saying, and we're going to look at the power of our words. Because the truth is, your words have the power to give life. But the other problem is, your words also have the power to take life. Um, your words have the power to, to destroy people on the inside. They also have the power to build them up. Um, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what he's talking about is the words that come out of your mouth, whether they're encouraging and life-giving, or whether they kill others, really shows what's inside of you and shows what's in your heart. Because that's where our words come from. That's the source. Um, so we're going to talk about the words that we speak, and we're going to talk about what it means to get them right. Um, somebody asked me this week, how many weeks are you going to do this series? And I said, as long as it takes for us to get it. Four, five, six months. I don't know. You know, it's going to take a while, but we need to get this right. Um, and, uh, you know, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about different little things that we don't talk about enough. We're going to talk about lying. Um, we're going to talk about gossip, which is one of the biggest poisons in every church. Um, we're going to talk about criticizing and what the Bible says about that. Um, but today, how many of you have kids that constantly complain? How many of you can't stand it? Then why do you do it? I'm just saying, I mean, we're, we're children of God. And really, we're going to get to this, but when we complain, it's him we're grumbling against. And we're going to talk about that. Um, when I think about complaining in the Bible, though, I immediately think back to the Old Testament. And God's people, the Israelites, back in the book of Exodus, if you remember, they were in slavery for hundreds of years. Um, and they were in captivity. And they complained, 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 complained. And then if you notice, though, after God did miracle after miracle after miracle, and he brought plagues, and he changed Pharaoh's heart, and he drowned Pharaoh's army, and, uh, and, and you know, he provided food from heaven, and he got water for them out of the rocks, and he provided for them, and their clothes never ran out. And then what did God's people do when he was providing for them and they were out of slavery? They still complained, complained, complained. They griped, and they moaned, and they whined. And it's just comical to me, actually, how, how the, their mindset back then, thousands of years ago, is pretty similar to how we do it today. Um, in Exodus 14, 11, when they said to Moses, they said, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here in the desert to die? In other words, thanks for freeing us. <laughs> what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? In other words, we were happy when we were slaves, but now you've brought us out here. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die out here in the desert. Sounds so much like so many of us. And then, as if that doesn't sting enough to add insult to injury, Here's what Moses says, and, and really this next phrase should really stun some of us into a moment of silence. He says this about our complaining. He said, you're not grumbling against us. Who are you grumbling against? You're complaining against the Lord. Think about that for a minute, and this is going to sting a little, but it's still true. Imagine if every single time that we complain, every single time in our lives we grumble about something, we're not actually grumbling about what we think we're grumbling about, but we're complaining about God. Think about that. Perhaps that's the way that he sees it, because I see that quite a few times in Scripture. So what I want to do today is I want to kind of personalize this, because I want you to be able to see complaining through the lens of your own personal complaining. 
today because it'll hit harder. So on your outline, if you want to pull that out, there's a question, and we'll put it on the screen. But think about this question for a minute. What is it that you complain about most in your life? What do you complain about most? And I'll be honest with you, for me, and I know it sounds stupid to some of you, but the thing I complain about often is probably my schedule because it's pretty crazy and I have to be here and then there and then there and the hours are odd and they're weird and it just seems like I'm always running to catch up. And so sometimes it's like, wow, 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 poor me, complain, complain. But think about that for your own self. What is it that you complain the most about? Some of you would say that you complain about not being married because you wish you were married, so you complain about that. And then you get married and you complain about your spouse just to get it right. (laughs) Maybe you're complaining that money is tight or you complain that your house is too small or you don't like your boss or the meetings are too boring or you have to work too much or they didn't invite me to that thing. It might even be something smaller that that many of us complain about like the weather or uh, what's on TV or that the Wi-Fi connection's slow. Um, And let me just clarify for a second because you need to walk out of here getting this. It's not about the Wi-Fi. And it's not about the traffic, and it's not about the weather. It's really about the fact that we as Christians have taken our eyes off the goodness of God, and we've put them dead center on ourselves. And instead of looking at the goodness of God around us constantly and keeping our eyes where Jesus said to put them, we're focusing so much on ourselves that that's that's all we look at. That's the problem. That's really the source of where all this complaining comes from, and that's what leads to this curse. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at a passage of scripture from the New Testament that to me is just so powerful. Because if there's any man in history who had the right to complain, it was the Apostle Paul. If there's any man who went through it all, like the worst of the worst, and had the right to constantly complain, it certainly would have been the Apostle Paul. The top thing on his bucket list, I call it his bucket list, it was really more his calling from God, was to go to Rome which was the center of cultural impact during that time in history, and to preach there. Because he believed, if I could just take the gospel to Rome, if I could preach in Rome among all those most powerful people in the world, then we could change the world. And we could advance the gospel to the ends of the earth, and it would reach the whole world. And he believed that. And that was the number one desire of his heart, to go to Rome as a preacher to preach the gospel. But instead, he was arrested and sent to Rome as a prisoner. So the dream is to go there as a preacher. Instead, he goes there as a prisoner, and not just a prisoner, but he was actually locked up in a prison for two years, chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, awaiting his most likely execution. That's how he was thinking during that time. And I'll be honest, uh, put me in that place. (laughs) I want to go there as a preacher, but I'm there as a prisoner instead. I want to go advance God's kingdom, but I'm there in jail instead, chained to a smelly guard all day. I'm probably going to be complaining. I'm just being real with you. I'm probably going to complain a lot about that because I've been serving God. Um, I'm going to be so tempted to complain because this isn't fair. Why would you allow this to happen to me? (laughs) I was serving you. I was doing my best for you. I was giving my all for you. And if I'm the Apostle Paul, I've also been shipwrecked. I've been stoned and lived through it. I've been beaten. I've been left for dead. I've been sick. And all I've done, God, is serve you, serve you, serve you, serve you. And you know, God, how strategic this city is. You know that this is the center of the culture and we can impact the whole world if we reach this city. So why did you allow me to get arrested instead of proclaiming your name here in Rome? Because I'm a prisoner. The floor is hard. The food sucks. And I'm chained to a smelly guard that I just want to puke on because his body odor is driving me crazy. That's what would be going through my mind. But here's the thing. Instead of complaining, instead of whining, instead of 
griping about it and telling God why God got it wrong, this is what the Apostle Paul pens in a letter to the church at Philippi. This is what he says to the the Philippian believers. Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15. He says to the Christians, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Another version translates it, do everything without complaining. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. That's a high standard. (laughs) He's not saying sometimes don't grumble. He's saying in everything. He's saying everywhere you go, everything you do, every word that comes out of your mouth, every task that you complete, every deed you do, he's saying do not grumble or complain. There's a lot of spiritual reasons in the Bible why we should not complain, and God makes those very clear, but there's also some practical reasons. So let me start with the practical, and then I'll move into the spiritual, okay? There's a doctor named Dr. Travis Bradbury, and he wrote an excellent book, and it's called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. It's a great book. It'll change your life if you read it. But this guy has done a lot of research on the subject of complaining. And what he says is that repeated complaining, when you do it constantly, actually hardwires the brain to eventually do more of what? Complain. And so it's an endless cycle, and it just keeps going and going and going. In other words, the more negative you are, the more likely your brain is going to, in the future, be, continue to be triggered to be negative. And he and other researchers talk about what it, what it looks like when you continually have this negative mindset throughout your life after year after year after year. What happens is this thing happens called confirmation bias. And confirmation bias is that you always expect something bad to happen. So guess what always happens? Exactly. In other words, there might be somebody here today. Here's an example because it happens in churches across the country every day. Somebody may have walked in here today and you already don't like this church even though you haven't been here before. But it's not because you know anything about this church. It's because you have a preconceived idea because of churches you've been in in the past. And so something's triggering that, and you walked in. Because you walked in here expecting not to like church, you're not going to like it. That's how that works. And so, um, you know, you walk in here, the teaching's always boring, all churches are bad, the music always stinks, whatever. But before you even got here, you decided that you weren't going to like it. And then when you walked in, that was confirmed because you were expecting something negative. There's another thing I heard from actually several women this week, and I hear this a lot, where they say, all men are losers. <laughs> all men are jerks, which, of course, is not actually true, but because they go into every relationship and everybody they meet with a preconceived idea that all men are jerks, guess who every man they date is? A jerk. And the real reason that that happened, if we're going to be transparent here, is because you've really only always dated jerks, and so that's what created that mindset for you where now you meet a good guy and all you can see is the negative. This was a problem with the Israelites. They were negative when they were in captivity, and so now they're out of captivity, but because they were negative for so long and they're free now, their negative mindset has trained them to be even more negative, and Paul says this is incredibly dangerous. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to go through life preconceived to find the bad every day. There's enough bad in this world. (laughs) Just turn on the news. There's enough bad already. I don't want to go through life constantly looking for the bad everywhere I go. I want to go through life training my mind and preconceiving myself to see the good because it's there too, in case you haven't noticed. I want to train my mindset to see things that are pleasant and that which are wonderful and that which are, are good and hopeful instead of always focusing on what's negative. And, and when you look at the Apostle Paul and what he taught and the way he lived, I think there's really two big ideas that we can take from his life and, and this message he's trying to portray. And, and to me, this is the heart of it. 
And hopefully I can unpack this in a way that speaks to you. But Paul, essentially, by the way he lived and the way he thought, there's, there's these two ideas. Number one, he would say to you, if you can change your circumstances, okay, if there's something negative and you can do something about it, then do something about it. Step up, step out, and do something about it. Um, if there's negative circumstances, if there's something unpleasant in your life, if there's something around you that's not right, and you can do something about it, then do something about it. In other words, we're not going to just go through life pretending that everything's okay when it's not. He doesn't ask us to do that. We're not going to just go through life pretending that everything's right because there are things that are wrong. Okay, we know that. It's not a sin to notice that something's not right. When it boils into sin and goes against the will of God is when we're complaining about things that we can do something about, but yet we don't do anything about them. That's when it becomes sin. It's a little bit like Nehemiah in the Old Testament. He found out that the walls of his former city had fallen down. And here's what he did not do. He was upset about it, but he did not complain, complain, complain. He didn't say, this is the worst thing ever. The people are vulnerable. Um, they're going to die. Uh, you know, why doesn't somebody else do something about this? No, he stepped up and he did something about it. And the walls were rebuilt. He didn't just complain about it, he stepped out and act. And so if there's something in your life or a circumstance, something going on that gives you a righteous dissatisfaction, which it's okay to be dissatisfied by things that dissatisfy God, right? Or something that gives you a, a, a godly concern for something, it's okay to, to, to voice that, but then step out and do something about it if you're able. If you can change it, change it. If you can bring your A game, bring your A game and make a difference. And then by Paul's teaching, I think he would say this, he would say, if you can't change your circumstances, then change your perspective. So if you can do something about it, do something about it. If you can't change it, then change your perspective. Change what you say about it. Change how you think about it. Change the mindset that you have regarding those circumstances. And this, to me, is so powerful, what he says in Philippians 2, 17 and 18. Remember, at this time he's writing this letter, he's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. And he's awaiting his possible execution. His dream was to preach the gospel. Instead, he's locked up in prison. And this is what he says. He says, but even if, and I love that phrase, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He says, even if I'm poured out like a drink offering, I'm still going to be glad. And some of you say, well, I don't understand that phrase. What the heck does that mean? Poured out like a drink offering. That phrase, that little phrase actually comes from one Greek word. And there's one word in the original language that they pulled that whole phrase from. And that word is the word spendo. And spendo, much like it sounds, means literally to spend it all. To spend it all out. And so the people in that day and age would have would have understood and associated with this word he used. And so what the priests would do is they would make a sacrifice to God, a burnt offering. So they would take a lamb or another animal and they would make a burnt offering to God. But then what they would do, the drink offering part, is they would take the most expensive, valuable liquid, the most expensive, valuable beverage that they could find that they owned, and they would pour it all out. They would spend it all. Instead of consuming it themselves, they'd pour it all out on the offering. So you can imagine when you pour liquid on this burning sacrifice and, and the smoke comes up, and so it r rose up toward heaven as an incense offering to God, and that's what they would do. And so it would usually be wine, or sometimes it would be honey, which was very expensive during that day and age and difficult to get. And so he says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, 
I will rejoice. And you know, a lot of people think when he said that he's being poured out like a drink offering, he was actually referring to his eventual martyrdom where he was killed for the cause of Christ. I don't think at all that that's what he was talking about because it's present tense that he says it. He says, even if I am being poured out, even if, he doesn't say even if one day I'm poured out in the future. He says, even if my life is oozing away, even right now, it was his daily life, he was saying, that was his sacrifice to God. Every day, all day, that was his sacrifice to the Lord. And this is why somewhere else, Paul says, you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, and this is, he said, your spiritual act of worship. Worship is not just raising our hands and singing to God, although that is worship. The truest worship is our daily lives and offering ourselves while we're living as a living sacrifice to God, day in and day out. That's the truest act of worship. And so wherever you are in life, even if you're chained up to a Roman prison, you offer yourself as an offering to God. This is my act of worship to you. And so we have to ask the question, though, how could Paul, when he wanted to be preaching, who's chained up in prison, how could he possibly offer praise and worship to God in those circumstances? I'm going to tell you how he could do it. Here's how he could do it. He was able to do that because Paul was not the center of his story. Jesus was the center of his story. Day in and day out, that's how it worked. And, and because Jesus was the center of his story, Paul was able to take any negative circumstance, anything that went on around him, and Paul could change his perspective about it in such a way that it would impact what God was able to do through his negative circumstance. And so this is why Paul said this. Don't miss the power of what Paul says here. Here he is, chained up 24 hours a day, a different Roman guard every eight hours. A new one would come every eight hours, and they'd switch him out. And this is so powerful. Here's what he says. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So he's not complaining. He has changed his perspective, and he's seen the power and the goodness of God in his circumstance, no matter how negative. And so he's saying, what's happened to me has actually advanced the message of Jesus, and so I'm okay with it. And he says, as a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard. In other words, all these soldiers, a different one every eight hours, everyone else knows it. What do they know? They know that I am in chains, but I'm in chains for Christ. What is he saying? He's saying, oh, you think I'm the prisoner here? <laughs> Let me tell you who the prisoner is, all right? Think about it. I was wanting to come here to Rome to preach to Rome and change the world. Guess what? I'm chained up to a different powerful Roman every day. Every eight hours, they swap them out. So I'm preaching a new eight-hour sermon to every single one of them, and I write a new one for everyone as they come along. I'm here doing exactly what I was supposed to do from the start. I'm proclaiming the gospel. You've got no idea who the prisoner is. The prisoners are the ones locked to me because they're hearing the message of Jesus and they know exactly why I'm here. In other words, this isn't my plan. This is not what I would have chosen. In fact, this is the last thing that I would have asked God for. But because I'm in this circumstance and because I can't change my circumstance, I'm going to change my perspective. And I'm going to see God work through that. And I know that my God will work all things, even the negative, according to those who love him and are called according to his purpose for his good because that's what the word says, and I can see my God do something, and so, you know, I, I don't know who this is going to speak to today, um, but if you're in a place that you don't like, or you're in a negative situation in your life, something you need to know is that God still has a plan, and he still has power, and he still has a purpose, 
and it may not be what you ever wanted. It might have been the last thing that you'd ever choose, but it doesn't mean that God can't use it to bring himself glory and for his goodness to be pushed through. Think about it. Paul is chained to a different Roman soldier 24 hours a day, and so I would ask you this. What are you chained to? Just think about that. What are you chained to? And don't say your husband. (laughs) But maybe you're chained to a painful relationship. Uh, Maybe it's a job situation where you don't know what you're going to do. It could be that you're chained to a financial problem. It could be that you're in the middle of a hole that you don't know how you're going to climb out of. Um, And here's the thing. The list could go on and on, but let me say this to you. If you can do something about it, do something about it. If you can bring your A game, bring your A game. If you can fight, fight. If you can work harder, work harder. If you can pray, pray. If you can get some wisdom from somebody wiser than you, get some wisdom from somebody wiser than you. If you can turn it over, turn it over. But if you can't do something about it, if you can't change the circumstance, then do what Paul did and change your perspective. Change the way you look at it. Change the way you think about it. Change the words you say about it. And rather than complaining about something that you cannot change, choose to see God's presence and God's power even in the middle of something that you never would have asked for. I'm going to unpack this from a really personal perspective, so, um, and I'm going to try to get through it. I have a friend in this very church who I love dearly, and he has uh, expressed to me recently that he has stage four cancer, that the doctors have now told him that it's spread too far and there's absolutely nothing they can do from a medical standpoint, and they've given him four months to live. And many of us go to our friends or we go on Facebook every day and we complain about things like, oh, I wasn't invited to that party or that person said something to me that hurt my little feelings, or, man, this common cold I have is going to kill me. And here's what blows me away about my friend who just got this news. And I know this is rare, but it's still true of him, and it's kind of blowing my mind. He has not complained one time. Not once. And when I talk to him, all he can tell me about is how he knows God is going to use him and use this circumstance for his goodness, no matter what happens. And he wants to be, whatever happens, he wants to be the one that God uses in this situation. And one of his buddies last week even said to him, hey man, why don't you go back to drinking? Because you may as well enjoy these last four months. And you know what he said to his buddy? He said, I will never go back to that because I worked too hard to get free of that in my past. And I worked way too hard to be in this situation where I'm following Christ and I've gotten free of those chains that bound me. And then he said this, he said, plus what kind of example would I be to those close to me who are trying to free themselves from their addiction? Do you see that? That he's not focused on himself even in this time, but he's centering himself on on others and what God can do through him. And I realize that's rare. And I realize that even stings a little bit for some of you that are going through tough stuff. And I'm not telling you that your stuff's not tough. And I'm not telling you that it's not painful. And I'm not telling you that that some of it is ripping you up inside because I know it is. I'm, I'm not trying to minimize that. But you can complain and you can gripe and you can whine all day long about all the little things, which most of us do. And, you know, there are some things that are not pleasant in our life. And some of it might be justified. I'll, I'll give you that. But there's an or And the or is, or 
you can change the way you look at it and you can say, look, I can't do anything about this, but I can choose to look for God in it. I might not be able to change this particular circumstance, but I can choose the way I speak about it and I can choose the way I think about it and I can choose the way I represent to those around me. And I can ask him to do something in me while I'm in the middle of it and I can praise him through it and I can become maybe a little bit more dependent on the goodness of God because of it because I certainly wasn't depending on him beforehand. And maybe my prayers will become more passionate and maybe I'll become a little bit more intimate with him and get to know him better. And then one day maybe I'll even have a little more compassion for those who are walking through something similar because I've been through it. And maybe, just maybe, God will even give me an opportunity to change somebody else's life because I've been through what I've been through and I can walk alongside them in a new and powerful way. And this guy, man, like, (laughs) I'm getting choked up because... I'm just wowed, like blown away by how he's living his life with this news. And it's just, it's just rocking my world. If you can change the circumstance, change it. If you can't, change your perspective because God can use that in such a powerful way. And I love this phrase that Paul uses. He says, even if, that's powerful. Even if, even if at this moment I'm poured out, even if my life is oozing away, even if everything I've wanted to accomplish never comes to pass, Even if I've only got days left on this earth, he says, yet I will rejoice. Why? Well, because like my friend, Paul is saying, even though I'm in the middle of this thing that I never would have asked for, I can still see a glimpse of the goodness of God. I can see a glimpse of it, and he's still using me, he's still in me, I'm still in the middle of his plan for my life, he's working through me, and he's still good, even though I would have never asked for this thing to happen. And so I don't know what it would be for you. For you, it might be, you know, even if I continue to suffer in my body, even if, I will still praise God. Even if the migraine never goes away, I will still give him praise. Even if I don't get the job I really want, he's still God and he's still good. Even if they let me go, whatever it is, even if I still will trust the goodness and the character and the nature of my God, even if. So if you can do something about the circumstances, do it. Make a difference. Get in the game. If you can't change the circumstances, though, Paul would say change the perspective you have. So how do you do it? Because that's a tall order. (laughs) How do you actually do it? I think it boils down to one phrase. You are not the center of the story. And that's so hard for us to get in a self-indulgent world that we live in. It's so hard for us to get, but it's true, and it's the only thing that will free you, and it's the only thing that will change life, that you look at it differently, is you are not the center of the story. Jesus is the center of the story, and when Jesus is the center of the story, it changes how the entire story is told, how your life story is told. The only way that my buddy who's going through this journey and going through this pain that he's about to go through, the only way he can get through it is to recognize that Jesus is the main character in the story of his life, and so whatever happens to him, he wants to bring glory to that character. (laughs) And when you change your perspective like that, you can endure a lot more than you thought you could. It changes everything. And I realize what I'm saying is not easy, but it's still true. It's still true. And we can't just take pieces of this. We have to take the whole thing. I like what David said in the Old Testament. To me, this is so powerful. You know, David had a lot happen to him in life, and he did complain a lot (laughs) about a lot of different things. But there was a moment of glimpsing the goodness of God, and, and this is what David said. He said, let all that I am praise the Lord. Let everything in me give praise to God. And then he says, may I never forget the good things he does for me. 
And, and some of you, I hope you'll remember the good things he's done for you. The good things he's doing for you even now, even if you're in the middle of a negative circumstance. Remember those things. See his blessings through the immediate pain because they're there if you look for them. What does God do? David says he forgives all my sins. That's true of many of us. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. What does my God do? He fills my life with good things. Let all that I am praise the Lord. And so again, I I don't know who this is speaking to, but I know there's people who are going through difficult circumstances. I realize that. And so if you can change something, change it. If you cannot change it, change your perspective and choose not just to look at what's wrong around you, but also to look for what's right because it's there. Choose to look at the goodness of God. See his grace. See his power. Recognize that his presence is with you, that he has a purpose for you. Experience his forgiveness. Experience his love. Let the Holy Spirit carry you where you're weak. The Bible says his strength is made perfect in your weakness. Let everything that I am praise the Lord. Let everything that I have give glory to him. You know, I will not for one minute give my enemy the benefit of the doubt by complaining about what is not. Instead, I will see what is, and I'm going to worship God for it. And that is how, in the middle of a Roman prison, chained to a guard 24 hours a day after being beaten and flogged and left for dead, this man Paul was able to have a purpose and say, you too can do everything without grumbling and complaining. Because what happens, even though we may not like it, whatever it is can be used to advance the gospel, which is what it's all about. That's the reason that we're here on earth. That's the reason, to advance the gospel. Even if, and here's the hard part, even if my greatest prayer is never answered the way I want it to be, even if I never get out of the situation that I wish I was not in, I will still praise my God because he is good. Because he never leaves me, his presence is with me, his power is in me, and therefore I will praise him for everything I have. Especially for the part about he saved me for eternity when I did nothing to deserve it. Father, I ask today that that there would be a special grace in this room for all of us. And God, especially for those in the room who are, who are facing difficult, significant trials in their life. And God, we, we live in a world where it's so easy to complain about the big stuff or, or even the little stuff. And God, so I pray that we would walk out of here today knowing that if we can do something about it and change the circumstance, we're going to step up and do it. And God, if we can't, then I ask for the harder task, which is that you would give us the power to change our perspective. And so today, those of you in the room who would say, you know what, if I'm being honest, I have been characterized by complaining, and it's been a big part of my character, and um, I realize that I need to break it and be free of it. I'm going to join you because I'm one of them, and would you lift your hand, and we're just going to pray together. Father, I pray for healing. And God, we're going to believe that in the coming weeks, that the moment that each of us are tempted to complain, that you will cause us to pause and you will cause there to be a hesitation in our spirit 
And instead of focusing on what is not right about our lives, we're going to focus on what's right and good about you because you are the star of the story. God, help us to remember this great truth that we are not the center of our story. Your son, Jesus, is always the center of the story. And that's what life is meant to look like for the Christian. And God, I pray especially this morning for those who are hurting. I pray for my friend with cancer. I love him so much, God, and I pray that you would just remove this burden from him with everything in me. But even if you don't, I thank you for his perspective. And I thank you for his faith, and I thank you that he's instilling hope in others, even in the midst of something so difficult. And God, I pray that in any area of our lives where we cannot change the circumstances, God, that you would give us the power to change our perspective, to see that you are still in even the things we don't like, and you're involved, and you're bringing about good somehow. God, give us the power. May our words reflect the character and the goodness of who you are. May we build up others with our words and not tear them down. God, help us to stop complaining and start praising. Help us to stop whining and start winning. Help us to stop griping and start glorifying your name because that's what this story is about. And God, even if we don't get exactly what we want, may we choose to worship and honor you.